Hello there, humans. Welcome to season two of Sinister Soup. This season, uh, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently, but on the whole, it'll be pretty much the same. We are still going to be a show where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of literature, film, ridiculous conversation. And instead of tasty beer, this year we're going to do that exact same thing through games of both the board and video variety. Yay! Yay! Because we love games, um, board games, video games, card games, and we think they align a little better with the topic of our podcast because they are often in the genre fiction categories, and Mm -hmm. they are another way of telling stories. Um, I mean, most of my favorite games are the ones that have, like, an awesome story or role-playing element to them. So that's the sort of things we're going to get to in the show from here on. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we know a little bit more about games than we do about beer. Yeah. You may have noticed uh, in season one that we are not exactly beer connoisseurs. (laughs) No. We just sort of said it's good or it's bad. We just like to drink it. (laughs) Yeah. I like to drink it, but I never have put any real effort into it. Yep. Yep. So we'll be bringing the board games this time. Same sinister soup, few different ingredients. And still the same is our first segment, which we will just wonderfully segue into. That was seamless. Seamless. Utterly um, seamless. Bring some culture. Clay. What do you got? What do you what do you bring into the first this is the first culture of season two? What is it? The first culture of season two. Um I'm going to bring um I'm gonna bring in a social media site that I was invited to be a part of and to publish on uh, with some of my writing. Um it's called Simile and it is brand new. It was founded by uh, some fellow writers. And they are trying to create a little community there that is sort of like, it's kind of like Goodreads. Uh, It's a writer-centric social media site. Um, Mm. But where Goodreads is sort of mostly geared for readers. Yeah. um, And writers just, writers happen to go there because it's a great way to get their books to the readers and to talk to the readers. And it's awesome. Uh, Simile is sort of the inverse of that, where it is a place primarily for writers and then they hope to attract some readers to it. Oh, okay. Um, but they're brand new. I mean, they've only been around for a couple months. It's growing pretty fast, but it's nice. also uh, very young, and they are still very much figuring things out, especially on the technical side. Um, but there's awesome communities on there. There's lots of really good stories on there, and I would just really recommend that people go check it out. It's simile. S-I-M-I-L-Y dot co, not dot com. Uh, so it's simile dot co, and I will put that link in the description. Fantastic. Sounds like a great place to possibly, if you are a reader, not one of our listeners who's a writer, to find some new and upcoming independent literature or published work. Yeah, and if you're a writer, it's a great place to go publish your stuff and join some groups of fellow writers. They do like a simile uh, writing hour every month where we all get together and write, um, and I'm always there. So if you are a writer and by chance 
uh, feel some sort of need to come right with me, you could do that. <laughs> um, I also have a story on there now called The Greatest Enemy. So if you want to read that, you could go check that out, too. Go check it out. All right. What do you got? <laughs> oh, what do I got? We're killing got... these transitions. Oh, just just knocking them out of the park. Yep. You know, knocking them waiting, out of Fenway. Waiting for you to ask the question. I, I really just want the attention. Um, you got I it. have a TikTok person because that's mainly where I get a lot of my media consumption. Typical. Um, typical. Typical of a millennial. <laughs> At Dana Schwartz on TikTok at Dana Schwartz with two Z's. She just does little micro stories. The one that really caught my eye was a story about F. F Scott Fitzgerald and another author who I can't remember who the other author was at this time, but she just tells these like little mini stories of history that people might not know about the little personalities that a lot of our favorite historical figures had. And she does a lot of authors and stuff. And yeah, that's kind of the premise of that series. I think she does other kinds of TikToks that I haven't watched a lot of, but the history to impress people at cocktail parties was very fun. So check out at Dana Schwartz on TikTok. All right. I mean, that sounds great. It's always fun when you can uh, when you can insert some historical trivia knowledge into a conversation at a party. Mm -hmm. um, that's essentially how I convinced everyone in college that I was smart. Little did they know. Same. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do love having a repertoire of just like little facts. And then you say them and people are like, how do you know so much? And it's like, I don't really. I yeah. just know useless things. <laughs> I just happen to be a history major is actually what this is. My knowledge will be completely unapplicable in all practical senses of my life. Yes. Uh, especially the ones where it involves making money. <laughs> uh, and that, that is proven to be the case. Indeed. If you want to impress people at cocktail parties, you know, gathering those little stories and facts is definitely something to do. Totally. That All sounds right. great. I'll, I'll check that out. Well, I'll check it out when you send it to me randomly. Yeah, and you don't, you know, download the TikTok app. You just get it. I just look at your TikToks that you send me. Yeah, that's all the TikTok I've ever seen, and that's fine. Sweet. Um, well, I will do my due diligence. Speaking of due diligence, look at that. Look at that seamless transition. We yeah. need to talk about games now. What? No, that's our break between... Oh, shoot. Damn it, Travis. Now there's a seam. <laughs> we were doing this so well, and now there's a... Freaking seam. <laughs> I made a uh, seam. Okay. You I'm made gonna, a I'm seam. Gonna, oh, gonna, that, that made I'm, it okay. I'm introducing our thing now, aren't I? The the main, the yeah, meat. Yeah, the meat. We're at the soup meat. All right. Well, let's re, like, re-up, people. Let's uh, uh restate the rules of the meat of the soup. So our meat here, the segment we're about to do, is... um. Role for entrollment. Yes. Forced entrollment. Oh, forced entrollment. Yep. Forced entrollment. So many seams in this. <laughs> <laughs> forced entrollment. Where we bring a um, book or show or movie that has something to do with genre fiction. And we roll a D20. For those of you who do not 
play a lot of board games. D20 is a 20-sided dice. And whoever gets the highest roll defends the book, movie, or TV show. And whoever gets the lowest roll tears it apart. Tears it apart. Says it's the worst thing that ever happened. Regardless of how we actually feel. Indeed. Which we will tell you after we review a board game in between segments. But we also do a trivia question, and the winner of the trivia contest gets advantage, so they get to roll twice and take the better roll. You know what I think we should do there? What? I was thinking about this. You, When you get the advantage, it actually isn't always a reward, because you don't always like what you're reviewing. Mm-hmm. What if when you get the advantage, you get to take the roll that you want, mm. and you just don't tell anybody what it is? Yeah, we can do um, that. You, so we have to do it in a way that we make sure we don't reveal things to the audience. So mm-hmm. like for example, so whoever doesn't get advantage has to reveal theirs, then the person with advantage just rolls twice and says, "Okay, I got lower." Mm-hmm. Um and doesn't tell you whether they wanted it or not, and we can reveal that later. But I think uh yeah, I think that would be fun. I think advantage should actually pay off for you because I feel like last season, um, once or twice, I did get the trivia question and then I didn't want the advantage because I was like, <laughs> I actually don't want to defend this movie. We could do that. Sweet. All right. What are we, what movie, book, or show in the genre fiction realm, which for us uh, listeners means sci fi, fantasy, horror, mm-hmm. are we doing? today we are doing the more the very recent amazon prime wheel of time television series um we already did the first like four books i believe of the wheel of time book series um and if you want to go back and watch that review to see what we think of the beginning of that book series um but yeah we're going to review the we're going to talk about debate about the wheel of time television series wheel of time is a just a very brief summary of magical high fantasy starts as sort of your stereotypical chosen one uh, farm boy gets brought into the fold of this grand adventure from a uh, powerful wizard. But the thing that Robert Jordan, the author changed a little is that the chosen one hero farm boy doesn't really want to go. And everyone around him kind of doesn't really want the end of the world to be coming so they're all they kind of have this deniability and that's what the first season of the show is on is this first book where a lot of the characters are basically telling this wizard like we don't have to listen to you Mm -hmm. this isn't actually what's happening and fighting against destiny in a sense so the trivia question i have for you brother of mine are you ready yes in the Wheel of Time television series, the primary bulk of the season one was filmed in the Czech Republic. Mm. But due to certain COVID-19 related um, problems and issues with foreign filming and foreign governments and filming, they moved to a second location after a pretty long hiatus from filming. What was that second location? Was it A... Italy, B, the UK, specifically Scotland, C, Spain, or D, Prague? Mm, I'm going to say D, 
just because it's the closest. You are correct. It was Prague, indeed. Nice. They filmed the last battle scene, I think, on the final episode, and a little bit of episode seven were both filmed in Prague. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah. Lucky All right. guess. You got the advantage. Let's do it. Sweet. All right. We're going to roll. We're going to see who has to defend and who has to attack the Wheel of Time TV show. What'd you roll? An eight. Lower. You got lower. I got lower. Wild. With advantage. All Even right. with advantage. All righty. Well, I am going to start the timer and I am going to start debate. Okay, so Wheel of Time, the television series. First thing to say is they did make quite a few changes um, to the book. But here, the thing that I enjoyed about this show is that in its deviations, it still kept kind of the heart of the world. So it made a lot of individual changes amongst the characters and individual changes among some plot threads. But what I felt was a sense that every change they made was geared towards world building for the television audience. Because the television audience obviously cannot be taught these small nuances of the magic system and the world as well as like a book audience can. Robert Jordan can't just write paragraphs of exposition that's like, oh, in the history of here's what happened in Manetherin. And why the people of the two rivers are like they are because their large capital city got this huge battle and was decimated but the blood is still strong there can't really have those huge blocks of exposition very well written into a television series or else you get a really boring television series <laughs> so what i liked is that the wheel of time series kind of did take a lot of side journeys away from the main plot line and away from the Emmonsfield Five. But all of those side journeys were built around explaining this world that Robert Jordan so lovingly crafted. The main episode that showed that for me was episode five. There's a whole side plot line that wasn't in the books revolving around Warders and the Aes Sedai. And it uses these really dark themes of like suicide, of depression, um, over a warder losing his eyes to die to explain how powerful this bond is. And I think that's going to come into play in later seasons is now that we know after episode five, like how much this affects a warder if their eyes to die dies. We will now know later in later seasons if another eyes to die dies or if a warder dies, like we'll have a, a sense of that pain without having just being told like, oh, if my eyes to die dies, my life would end, like in a stupid throwaway line or something. It was a whole sort of plot dedicated to that. And I think that's what the show did well. Okay. I agree that uh, that Warder episode was the one thing that Wheel of Time has done right. Uh, I thought it was a really good episode. Uh, they did a great job developing those characters, developing that part of the world. Um, and that's what they haven't done for literally anybody else. <laughs> and that's the main reason that I think this show is a steaming pile of garbage. Uh, by the end of it, I was literally watching uh, out of obligation almost mm -hmm. because I love the book series so much because I want there to be another good fantasy on TV, which mm -hmm. there really hasn't been since Game of Thrones, frankly. 
and uh, really wasn't one before Game of Thrones. There hasn't been one of that level really ever at the mm-hmm. TV show level. And I was really hoping Wheel of Time might do it. Everybody was talking it up like it was going to be the next Game of Thrones, uh, which it just so isn't. It's closer to the next Witcher, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, and I honestly, like, I've watched a couple episodes of season two of The Witcher now, and it's kind of better, which is pretty bad. Like, because <laughs> the first season was a total botch job. But this show is terribly written, man. It's terribly written. I don't even know how you can argue against that. Like, I, I get what you're saying about uh, they're writing it for a TV audience and they're building the world and it would be boring otherwise. But it's like, I don't feel like they are building the world. I feel like they're destroying the world. They're destroying the characters and the plot lines that Robert Jordan did so lovingly craft over the course of 13 books. 14. Like 14 books. Yes. Thank you. Even more (laughs) books than I exclaimed. Actually, Um, 15 with the prequel. (laughs) Yeah, 15 with the freaking prequel. I am not including really the prequel because I haven't read the prequel, so I can't speak to that. But I have read the 14 books. And... He is, I think the show is just destroying things that were so powerful. My main beef with it is Perrin Ebara. Perrin Ebara was my favorite character in the books. Mm. Don't like anything they've done with his character. He is a he is a stagnant log of a character, and it's not the actor's fault. I don't think casting has anything to do with it. It's just a matter of writing. He barely has any lines. He barely does anything. And they've taken away everything in the books that made him cool. He's like not really a wolf guy anymore. He's closer to the Incredible Hulk. He can Hulk out and get yellow eyes, but he doesn't really control the wolves. He doesn't really talk to the wolves. Like they just sort of show up and he's like, oh, they're cool. They're with me. And Egwene's like, why? And Perrin's like, good question. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, (laughs) Because he hasn't talked to them. He didn't learn from a mentor like he did in the books. And a big part of, like, the yellow eyes is way more important than just, like, a little key characteristic of parents. It, like, made people not trust him. It made people think he was a dark friend all the time, even though he was, like, the most honest character in the series. Everybody was like, yeah, but you're evil because your eyes are yellow. (laughs) And uh, he was like, yeah, but I'm not. (laughs) And that was a really big part of uh, parents' character, like, the White Cloaks were after him on his heels the entire series. And then he had to, like, come to terms with that and, like, ally with the the White Cloaks. Spoiler alerts, if you haven't seen read Wheel of Time, you may want to do that uh, yeah. before you finish this. But he that that is a huge arc. It's a huge, really important arc for both Perrin and for the White Cloak organization in the books. It, it remi- It's uh, reminiscent to me of like the Lannister arc in Game of Thrones, you know, where like Jamie starts off being a terrible person, but by the end he's pretty redeemed and one of the coolest characters. Which also and, doesn't happen in their TV show, mind you. Which also doesn't happen in their TV show because of seasons six through eight. Again, bad writing because they didn't follow the books, which in Game of Thrones case, they literally couldn't. But Wheel of Time doesn't have that excuse. They do have the books. Yeah. And that's the thing. Okay, so I think having the books, they're taking a different approach than the Game of Thrones show. And that's one thing. I don't think every new fantasy series should be compared to Game of Thrones because I don't compare every fantasy series books to the Game of Thrones book series. I think 
we need to be open to sort of new things happening. I mean, like Witcher being a monster of the week type romp is not going to be Game of Thrones. It's not going to be high political drama. And same with Wheel of Time. Is Wheel of Time's plot lines in the story were a lot more about the fantastical, magical world and how um, political machinations are moved by one single prophecy rather than by, like, the murder of kings and all of that such thing. And I think the show is definitely, I won't disagree with you, sacrificing some main plot point characters for focus on four specific ones. I think this is this turning of the wheel, as people on Twitter are saying. Um, hold on a sec. Um, this turning of the wheel, as people on Twitter are saying, is focused primarily on Lan, Nynaeve, Moiraine, and Rand. And that's kind of... How, how is it focused on Rand? Give me a break. I will give you a break, by the way. Yeah, how is it focused on Rand? He hasn't even been a character until, like, the Rand last two episodes. Rand has the second most screen time of the entire cast in the show. If you oh, count, yeah? by, count by minutes, Rand has the second most. Only beaten by Moiraine. If you hadn't read the books, tell me one thing, like, one thing you would know about Rand other than he loves Egwene. I would know that it is game time! <laughs> yeah, you would know that, and that's it. It mm. is game time. We are reviewing games now. The debate is <laughs> over. So, what's the board game of the week? Alright, yeah, board game of the week. Board games. We're gonna start with a game which we've both at one time or another dubbed the gateway drug into harder board games. Um, and that is Settlers of Catan. We're going to start with that because uh, it's a great segue into this new segment of ours. Great segue into the world of more complicated board games. Um, so, Travis, what do you got to say about Catan? What do you think about it? Why are we talking about it today? I mean, I I think that's just it. It is, like, that's the best term, is it is a gateway drug for more complicated resource management board games. Um, I didn't play a lot of complicated board games until more recently when you and Deanna introduced me to them, and I have a group of friends here in Philadelphia who play a lot of them. But I remember back in college, before I even knew about these complicated board games that I play now, I played Catan like every week with my friend Mary Kate or with my friends Matt and AK. And like they all love that game. And if I were to introduce them to a game that we're going to review later, like Terraforming Mars, which we'll talk about next week, I could easily just kind of be like, hey, you've played Catan, right? And they'd be like, yes. And I say, okay, this is Catan with like a few extra things added. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, yeah, I think that's it. That's like what I love about Catan. I think it's a fun game. I think it's a lot easier than some of the ones you're going to graduate to. And I mm -hmm. think there's less ways to win, but it's fun. It's great. Agreed. Yeah. Catan's great because it's like, it really is your intro to resource management. Like you've just got your few resources to get. You get them largely by chance, but also by your decisions early in the game. Um, and then there's a, just enough extra mechanics like the building the largest army, the development cards and the roads that and the ports like those four other mechanics are just enough that it pushes it past like 
playing sorry or yeah go fish yeah <laughs> it it pushes it past being just a dice rolling game despite the fact that uh that is how you get your resources um to that next level of resource management where it's like yes it does kind of depend on what the dice turn up on what i will get for free but i can get a lot of other things by wisely building roads, choosing development cards, getting my ports, and it gets you ready for those games that are at a little higher level. Like you said, like Terraforming Mars, which is like an epic version of Catan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so what I, earlier when we were talking about doing this game, you said once you figure out the one way to win, you can win every time. And I'm curious to hear what you think that is, because I was on a big winning streak in Catan, and then I started losing, but I thought I had one way to win too. So what's your favorite way to try to win Catan? See, I don't try and win. I, I, I only know <laughs> okay. I only know this one way to win because I'm I usually lose because I'm just obsessed with the longest road because I think Me a too. Large, longest a large, road. A large line of blocks <laughs> lined up and it just looks so pretty. I don't care if I lose. Isn't and it I so think... satisfying to have a road that snakes <laughs> yeah. all the way up the western coast of that beautiful continent? It is. Yeah. But I think that's where I lose. That's why I think <laughs> once people figure out, like, you don't worry as much about longest road and largest army. You start building settlements. You build those settlements up and you get, like, the castles. It's, like, the quicker you can get bigger houses, the faster you win. That's kind of the game, in my opinion. And I don't really... Everyone I've played who does that strategy, I lose. I'm sure if I tried that stat strategy more, I would start winning more, but I won't because I love Longest Road. <laughs> I don't know, though. I I have definitely won a lot of times, and most of those times I have gotten Longest Road, but I use the road more to cut other people off from being able to expand. That's true. And then I usually try to find a way to link my road. That's true. But I, I always think... thought the key to winning was ports. Wise port usage. When I choose my for- first two cities, I always choose somewhere with a lot of a resource, and then I get that port. Well, that that's and then the... I tried to build a road to them. It's kind of the same thing because all the ports get you is different resources or like trade in better trade in options to get you the resources you need to build bigger settlements. And that's like I think the settlements are the key. Longest road focusing on that. I always run out of things that I could use, resources that I could use to build bigger settlements because I'm spending all of my logs on the roads. (laughs) (laughs) Like if I don't have enough log places, then I'm, I'm out of luck. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I love getting longest road though. It is great. And I, Mm -hmm. I try to get it almost every time, but I don't make that the priority. I do still try to win. I use longest road to strangle my opponent so anyway settlers of Catan, highly recommend it i will put a link to a playthrough in the description all right um, just in case you want to check that out and yeah if you're if you're looking to get into more complicated board games Catan's the way to do that yeah all right well now the reveal the big reveal what did i actually think about Wheel of Time, the TV series. Doesn't the dissenter start this part? Does he? I believe so, because oh. you have to start as the defender. That's true. Go ahead. Yeah. Seam, seamless transition. I didn't lie. I hate this. <laughs> I hate it. Um, Wait, no. 
they couldn't tell by your obvious passionate rant. <laughs> <laughs> what? I could fake a passionate rant. I do it all the time. Uh, I yeah. I for the record did roll I rolled a two and then a thirteen. So I, I didn't roll two. great, but I could have taken the high ground. I yes. did not want it. Did not want the high ground. Which I made that rule, that new rule because of this series. <laughs> I <laughs> I figured. I hate it so much. I really wanted a chance to not have to defend it. I do want to start by saying I love the casting. Um, that has nothing to do with why I hate the show. I thought that was excellent. I love that they cast a very multi uh, multiracial, diverse cast in a in a series that is supposed to be set in like Mesopotamia, India area, not mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. So I was really glad to see that like everybody wasn't white thought the show did a great job with who they cast i thought all the actors honestly are doing a great job so my beef with the show has nothing to do with the actors i also think the world is cool i think the costumes are pretty fun a little too clean i always thought nobody did that as well as game of thrones again i always go back to game of thrones and Mm -hmm. i want to comment on your point there i do think it's a problem when fantasy costumes are too clean I mean, I, I don't ever like that. Yeah, I agree with uh, that. The Witcher also does good at that. Like, the world looks dirty and, and yeah. greasy and yeah. medieval. Because in medieval times, stuff was just dirty. Everything well, was dirty most of the time, except for, like, the Aes Sedai. I do agree it should be dirty, but I do like that the show didn't go medieval because Robert Jordan's world isn't technically medieval. It's post-apocalyptic. So it was kind of cool mm-hmm. to see them, like, lean into that part with the set development yeah but i don't know i i think it should have been like a little like dirtier and stuff at like the two rivers because it's a farming village that's oh i agree with that i agree um not the ice to die i think they can be pristine and not not dirty at all i think that fits but Mm -hmm. the uh just the world in general if it's going to be in that time period should be like that's what i say about that moving on I think that they did a good job with pretty much all the semantics of the show, but the writing is not good. No. It's bad, dude. It's really bad. Like, it's like atrocious. Mm, It's bad. And again, uh, to your comment earlier, I am not saying that every show has to be Game of Thrones. They said that. The critics said that. And they said that with the amount of money they're pumping into this show. Let's not try to pretend that they're not trying to be the next Game of Thrones because they totally are. Oh, the and production they, companies are. And they are botching it. But The I Witcher think it, is not. The Witcher is not at all doing that. It's the fault of the critics, I think, in com- all they do is compare it. I mean, yes, Amazon definitely is looking for that big payout. But when a critic approaches a fantasy series, I think, like, right now the standard is oh, is this going to be the next Game of Thrones? Let me look. You know, let me let me compare it to that. It's like, yeah, comparison's going to happen. You should do that, but also maybe judge it on its own merit. But I'm saying that not because I'm defending this show, because I didn't like it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it sounds like we're still arguing. Oh, with, no. I'm, yeah. I'm agreeing with your point. I know where you're coming from. And I yeah. agree. Every show should be judged on its own merits first. Yes. And those merits withstanding judge it against something of a high caliber like game of thrones if that's what it's trying to be i would never judge the witcher that way because i don't think that i think the witcher does know what it is now i think Mm -hmm. when the witcher did season one they sort of thought they were going to try and be that next elevated fantasy show 
But now in season two, they're like, you know what The Witcher isn't? Game of Thrones. You know what The Witcher is? The Witcher. Let's just be The Witcher. Let's be a monster a week. Geralt shows up and kills a monster, and we have a lot of fun. Like, let's do that. And now they're doing it, and the show is so much better. Yeah. But Wheel of Time is trying to be Game of Thrones. They did tone up the, which was one of the big problems. They toned up the um, sort of darker themes. But the weird thing is, it's like, say to, say Game of Thrones is, you know, at like 10 on the scale of dark themes and mature audience. And Wheel of Time, book one, the books are probably at like a four. or. A oh, five. you mean an actual rating? Like no, PG look, to R. Yeah, PG to R. Say yeah. Game of Thrones is R. I would say the books, Wheel of Time books, are like PG, eking into PG-13, the first book. Yeah, because, there's too much death to be PG. Yeah, the Trollocs are scary, and the shade, the Shades are, or Fades are scary, or Shades, yeah, are scary. And mm-hmm. I feel like the show was like, okay, let's like eke into the R-rated stuff with um kind of our themes of like, Rand and Egwene's relationship they're all adults now you know so they can hire adult actors and I was mm-hmm. like that's an interesting choice and a cool choice if they keep it with the action scenes too mm-hmm. and they didn't <laughs> like some of them were a little bloody yes but like the episode 4 episode 4 was one of the most like critically like critically praised episodes of like oh wow what an epic battle sequence with the weaving it's it was terrible <laughs> it was just a bunch of like prop explosions and slow lame. motion it was not good no and it was I don't, lame and i was like i don't know it was one of the things that and i've preached this to the choir to so many people <laughs> and I, i'm sure people get really irritated at hearing it when i watched that show i was like yep this should have been an anime <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah that's the only thought i had i was like anime does magic better than live action ever will and this is proving my point like this is atrocious i just look at castlevania yeah i was like this is not what weaving looked like in my head and the only medium i think that could do it correctly to what i imagined it looking like is anime and that show just proved every time weaving happened i was like yeah yeah Dude, Harry Potter, <laughs> Harry Potter action sequences were better, and that was like a decade ago. Yeah, because it's a very simple. That's the thing. Like weaving is such a complex magic system. Even Harry Potter's magic is just a Latin word and like a flick of a wand. That's, you know, it's a little less complex, and it can be done in like kind of a gun shooting way with CGI. Mm-hmm. But weaving is this like you can't even see it i mean there's so many scenes in the books where people are literally just staring at each other and having this fight and i'm like that i was seeing i was really curious how they would do that in the show and they did not do it well but just so i can get some of my points in because i don't like this show um i did like episode five probably the most because it was that kind of like hope where they did something different and it really did build the world a little and i was like oh Mm -hmm. okay maybe this is what their vision is i felt that at season five too sorry to interrupt you but i want to jump in there Mm -hmm. i felt that at season five too because that we talked about that after that episode we were both like that one was pretty good Mm -hmm. uh they've sort of all sucked until there but Mm -hmm. that was where we talked and we were like 
you know what? If we just abandon the hope that the show is going to be like the books and be like, that's okay, which it is, Mm -hmm. as long as the show is still good, then Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the show not being like the books. I'm not one of those people that's like, this happened in the books, so blah, this has to happen. Like Game of Thrones isn't like the books really much at all by mm-hmm. by by like season six it's way off course way off course and i was totally cool with it like i don't need it to be just like the books if it's still good you know yeah but after episode five it it isn't good i mean and before it it's mediocre mm-hmm. like it's a lot of i don't think the writing got bad until after episode five before it was just kind of bland and boring and a hundred percent agree with you that they did not spend time with really anybody but Nynaeve, Lan, and Moiraine. I mm-hmm. was super surprised that Rand had as much screen time as he did because he's not memorable in that seat that season. And a lot of people will say like, "Oh, he's barely memorable in Eye of the World." I disagree. Yeah, he's kind of a bland hero character, but he's your whole perspective is from him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it true. doesn't. Robert Jordan doesn't start branching off characters like he does throughout the entire series until book two. No, Brand is or Rand is like the uh, he's like two thirds of the book's point of view. Yeah, of book one, and yeah. he's he's in it a lot, I guess. I mean, because of the screen time numbers, but I don't remember him. <laughs> yeah, they they say that, but like, what he, what was he doing in most of that screen time? Just standing there with his stupid bow that he never used. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was they, so, so bad. They butchered book one, Matt. Um, uh, and I know they had a bunch uh, of pro- they had a bunch of production problems, and the actor left. And we hope he's fine and stuff. I know it was like an emergency, and it's nothing against him. Again, no, um, I thought the actor was doing a good job actually, but I hate the decisions they made in the script. It's they terrible. made him. They made him an automatically sympathetic character, and the beauty of Matt Coffin is when you start that book series, you hate him. He's a total douche. And you do not fall in love with him until later in the series, and not for the reasons that they made him like a pouty emo boy. Mm-hmm. And that's not Matt, you know? No, and... he was a prankster, mysterious, or mischievous, not mysterious. He wasn't mysterious. He was a prankster and a kid and a smart mouth, like... yeah. Like, that's but, who he was supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, we could go on about this forever, but really it, it comes down to they really didn't give much time to the Edmondsfield Five. They made a bunch of weird changes that, I don't know, didn't really benefit the story. Like, if you make a change that benefits the story, I'm fine with it. But they totally. didn't. They made, like you said, the bad writing. One of the things that stuck out the most to me was in um, episode... Oh, six, I think, right before they go to the ways mm-hmm. um, in episode seven. In episode six, Moiraine like goes to Loyal and basically tells, like, just Mike drops on him, like, one of the people that came with me is the Dragon Reborn. And Loyal's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, you Loyal's basically like, Sweet. just told Loyal, like, like that's the equivalent of telling loyal that there's a demigod among you and like Mm -hmm. we have to figure out which one it is do you want to help me and robert jordan's whole series is about people hearing stuff like that and being like uh nah bruh like (laughs) i have a city to manage 
And Loyal's just like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll help you. And just shows up at the way gate. No prob. It was like the laziest writing I've ever seen. Yeah. And my, like, there's a lot of that lazy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like it's two parts that makes me mad. The first part is like the same thing that happened to Dune. I feel like they don't explain a ton of things like the Aja. Like mm-hmm. all these ladies are wearing different colors. Uh, so we know they're different factions, but like they really don't explain anybody except for sort of the red and sort of the blue, and mm-hmm. that's it. And and very sort of, I was able to know what they're talking about when they mention it like one time, uh, that the red hunt men down that who can channel because I read 14 books about it, <laughs> but like people who didn't read the books, like I feel like there's a lot of exposition happening that they're just going to be totally clueless on. Yeah, but... um, that the show is just breezing over with like one line in one episode. We, we mentioned uh, you didn't even think they said the word Talvirin, and I was like, I think they did, and we weren't even sure. And then they did at the end, just to solidify that. Yeah, <laughs> but they never explain what a Talvirin is. They just sort of like, are we supposed to know what that word means? It's a word that's not English, so yeah, whatever. The, the difference though is like you can like the thing with Dune is I agree with you. Like, if you didn't read the book Dune, I don't think that movie would have been as good as I like as I thought it was. But, like, if you did read the book, Dune is almost shot for shot. True. Like, you can go is... back and be like, oh, it meant this, and it was this, and it was this. In Wheel of Time, you're going to go back and be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Where's the warder guy who commits suicide? That was my favorite part of the show. Like, oh, he's not in the books. He is in the books, actually. He's in the prologue. He's on one page in the prequel. He's mentioned by name. That's it. Seriously? Seriously. He's in New Spring. He's, he, it's oh. just, you know how Robert Jordan has so many of those things where it's like, yeah, this yeah. Aes Sedai had this warder and this warder and this warder, and then you never see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of those. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's literally thousands of those. Anyway, that's the first thing. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is, and you mentioned this, I mentioned this in part, but I think they're ruining a lot of the good like plot through lines that they had by these weird show choices that make no sense. They've ruined Matt's redemption arc, his yeah. sympathetic arc. They've ruined Perrin's arc with the White Cloaks in two ways, by making Perrin seem completely innocent because that was the whole thing. When he has his trial with the White Cloaks at the end, you're like, oh, Perrin did kind of screw up back there. Like, when we read it early in the series and he killed those two White Cloaks, we're like, yeah, Perrin's a good guy and the White Cloaks suck. But by the end, you're like, actually, the White Cloaks aren't all bad guys and the two that Perrin killed were totally innocent people. Yeah. Uh, Just guys doing their job. Mm -hmm. And that's a big, big point in the book. It's like... Yeah, we're all on different sides, but it's all time to come together, and not everybody's evil just because of their faction. Yeah, and um, the one, the one and that I think. Well, hold on, I want to finish one thing. the The white cloaks are especially ruined because they already brought in Padron Thane, who is like the biggest a hole in the whole organization, and you're not supposed to see him till later in the books. They totally replaced two of the most sympathetic, important, and cool white cloak leaders with him. Mm-hmm. totally ruined it dude <laughs> when you because when you start off in the with the white cloaks you're like oh the white cloaks kind of suck but like bornhold doesn't suck 
Yeah. You know, and you can kind of like sympathize with him. And that's the only way, you know, to think, oh, maybe the white cloaks aren't all bad mm-hmm. because they have guys like Bornhold and they have guys like I'm drawing a blank on the, the commander's name before Thane kills him. You yeah, know I don't remember. Him. But he was good, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, they, they were important, 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 so important characters. And he just they just replaced him with the most brutal white cloak in the series. Yeah. Who's cutting off Aes die rings and beating up gypsies? Well, yeah, they gave him like, a screen time. Bornhold is in the show, but for like two minutes. <laughs> Whatever, call that in the show. I don't call that in the freaking show. No, he's not when too- you were supposed to be a main character. Bornhold was doing all the all the stuff they gave to Thane was Bornhold in the books, and Bornhold wasn't doing it like that. Yeah, but the one that I think a lot of people aren't talking about, or that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. Is Moiraine sending sending the message to have the Reds like look for Matt? Yeah, that was a weird one too. Like, I why? Like, why make that? Why that choice? Moiraine what would that not do that. Like, no, what does she, that accomplish? She kept every gun she had close to her chest, like in the whole book, whole series. She never tells anybody more than she has to, and no. she doesn't get people unnecessarily hurt. No, that, and she knows. In the books, the man can't channel. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, first yeah. of all, she knows that. But whatever. That's a show choice, which I would live with. Like, if she thought maybe he was the, the dragon, I could live with that choice in the show if it made sense. But it freaking doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, none of these choices they're making make any sense to me. They all just seem like terrible decisions. And maybe they'll make up for it in the writing. But I've completely lost my faith in that after watching that atrocious final episode Um, holy cow that was like the most anticlimactic lazy piece of crap i have ever seen excuse for a season finale like what a lame battle like what a lame battle dude it was very lame i mean lame i could rant for a lot longer we have been talking for quite a while on this though so yeah maybe we should stop ripping on wheel of time (laughs) anyway if you like the show, sorry. <laughs> uh, that's what I think about it. I think it's utter trash. Travis, are you going to watch season two? I mean, I, you know I'm a glutton for punishment and a completionist. So <laughs> someone yeah. tells me something's going to, like, I, dude, you're talking to the guy who watched eight seasons of Vampire Diaries. Like, yeah, I'm going to watch season two. <laughs> I am talking to that guy, aren't I? I made 13 seasons of Supernatural. Like, I can do this. Okay. <laughs> so I'll let you know if it changes, but... Yeah, you'll have to. I, I don't think I'll... I might, like, watch episode one, probably, because I'll be bored and, like, is it better now? <laughs> um, but I don't know. It was pretty rough by the end. Like, those last few episodes were pretty, pretty they terrible. Were, they were bad. Yeah. Well... We have a ranty return to season two. Neither of us liked the starting show of our new season. I hope y'all check out the cultures of the week that we brought. And I hope you check out the, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have already played Catan, but if you haven't, go play it. And we don't suggest you watch Wheel of Time. (laughs) No, we actually don't. If you haven't read the books, you might like it. It is a fantasy show with a high production value. That's indeed. High production budget, I should say. Yes. Um. And uh, yeah, the actors are great. Casting's great. The world is cool. The costumes are fun. So there's things to like about it. Uh, I think you'll like it more if you haven't read the books. 
Yep. Um, but read the books and don't watch the show if you're taking our recommendation. 100%. Yep. All right. That'll be it for this week. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Season 2, Sinister Soup. Until next time, I have been Clay Vermolum. And I have been Travis Vermolum. And we are both still those people. Bye.